0: Listeners, you are listening to Biz Culture Matters on clay 1180 AM and ExcellentCultures.com. I am Zach Gander, your host, and with me, as always, is the inimitable... Immutable, Steve Gandra. How so, what am page? I
1: today? Immutable or inimitable? You are, you are
0: always inimitable. Inimitable. And today, since we're on the radio, you are going to be immutable.
1: Immutable. Yeah, but you've got that button. You can there's push a mute time Anytime button. you want to shut I'll me I'll just up. do
0: that when we <laughs> want to listen to our guest, who's far more knowledgeable. Yeah, he certainly is. <laughs> he certainly is. I can agree with that. So that will be the way to go. We, well, you, uh, I feel like I haven't we haven't we haven't done a live show in a while, so I'm a little I'm a little offbeat. Um, sure doesn't. Sound is there anything? Like it to me. Oh, you know what we could. You know what we could update people on is we have a, a plethora of new workshops we've been doing, and uh, they've been rated really high by the people coming through them. Yeah. And
1: four point eight on a scale of five. So folks yeah, are getting a lot out good. of a lot out of learning how to get breakthroughs in their cultures in these workshops. So, so. Steve,
0: like I've been asking you, why can't we do out of a scale of ten? What's with a scale of five?
1: Well. Scale of ten. Four point eight, hard to keep track of. That's too much data. Nine yeah, out of ten to me sounds like much. an A. A okay. four point
0: four point eight, just.
1: Well, so you learned how know. to multiply two times something. <laughs> that's kind of how it works. <laughs> Let's introduce our guest. Well,
0: um, if you are listening to the show and you are uh, paying attention to the roads or something, keep your eyes open because you're gonna you're gonna want to close your eyes a couple times in deep thought today. We have a. A very very smart and knowledgeable guest today by the name of John Michelle. You want? How did you meet John, Steve? Well,
1: I had the opportunity. It's actually um, uh, Brigadier General John Michelle. John was uh, the uh, youngest colonel in the U.S. Air Force, and then uh, during his most recent tour in Afghanistan, was promoted to Brigadier General. Has since retired and is in in a world. We'll let you tell. We'll let John tell you more about what yeah. he's doing now, but. Uh, I was it, it, I had him I had the opportunity to attend a conference where uh, John was speaking and he shared some real world experiences that, you know, he participated in while he was in Afghanistan, just transformational experiences that engage the culture of the Afghan yeah. uh, army and their leadership and their, you know, the hierarchy of their leadership. And did some just amazing transformational things in terms of yeah. of creating loyalty and trust and integrity and commitment and high performance. That it they amazed me. So, so uh, you had to have him on the show. I had to have him, to I had to have him on the show. And then uh, I've I've had the opportunity to see his his book um, on positive leadership that will be released soon. Yeah. And uh, some of the we'll give you details some, uh, about some that. of the great folks that have endorsed the book that have read it. Um, you know this guy. We're going to need almost do more everybody, than but one. Jesus has yeah. endorsed it. Well, so far. well, Jesus would endorse if he could it. write an endorsement. Right you know, now, well, he, he could. He could <laughs> write an endorsement right now, but he's afraid that we might mess it up on his on this radio show. Yeah, so he probably yeah. doesn't. So he probably. So let, doesn't. let me. I, I,
0: John's a speaker, author, business advisor, and widely recognized expert in culture, social media strategy, and individual and organizational change. Yeah. A recently retired Air Force general which you already mentioned. He's also the founder and senior curator of the world's largest senior military leader blog platform in GeneralLeadership.com, an accomplished unconventional leader and proven status quo buster. I like that. That's a good one. Uh, His award-winning work has been featured in a wide variety of articles and journals, including HBR, which we love, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, which is something I read a lot of, too. The the old Huff, the Huffington Post. Steve, do you even know what the Huffington Post is? No way. You're not much of an online reader, but no. that's a big deal. Huffington Post, National Geographic, Joint Forces Quarterly, and the Washington Post. His new book, The Art of Positive Leadership, will be released in April. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome, John.
2: Well, thanks, gentlemen. You know, after that, you know, just absolutely gracious introduction. I mean, if... Golly, if the show ended here, I would think this is a huge win. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> yeah unfortunately, our, I think our listeners would too. They're like, man, this guy's amazing. I don't even yeah. need a to listener. To no, yeah, I'm yeah, right. I, I fearful of going backwards now. That's yeah. no, no,
2: an incredible introduction. No, no I've, but, heard uh,
1: you, I've heard you talk before. There's no way you could go backwards, John. So, <laughs> I mean, t- tell our listeners about, you know, uh, the work that you're doing now. And then also uh, your most recent work. You know, I, you know, anything that you can share that's not classified on the air about your most recent work in Afghanistan and the leadership impact that you had there, uh, I found just totally amazing and then also how you've you've identified how uh, the principles that you learned and deployed and strategies there can be deployed in corporate America. you know our listeners just love to hear from guys like you that have real battle scars you know and and not just the the uh, hypothetical ones, been in the real world of really making things happen and causing change to take place in a positive way. So tell them about yourself, John.
2: Well, again, thank you, gentlemen. and it's, it's, uh, uh, I'm grateful for being connected to you and as well as being able to share some thoughts with, uh, with your audience. Um, I'm gonna, I'll provide a quick overview of my background that ultimately led up to this latest uh, opportunity I had in Afghanistan that will kind of lurch forward to what we're doing today in advance of talking about the book. Uh, My background uh, started about 26 years ago. I'm an aviator by trade, as you remember from our time together. Uh, But throughout my uh, 26-year career, I've had the privilege of leading four times, uh, all uh, twice in combat and twice in peace. Uh, What I found very quickly uh, during my uh, various command opportunities, uh, much like what you represented, Excellent Cultures, is it's clear that leaders who are successful in creating an environment for people to offer their best selves, and I use that word intentionally, offer, because people really have to volunteer to share their gifts and their talents and really leave everything on the field. And that's the work of a leader to do that. And uh, over time, my first two commands I had the opportunity to do that and uh, continue to refine some uh, uh, some things. My I've been consistently throughout my career asked by the institution to address particularly hard and challenging uh, work associated with organizations that are underperforming. For example, my second command was, to go to an organization that was, had the highest levels of domestic abuse, highest levels of basically every type of distressing behavior in the United States Air Force. So, you know, in, in some, it was really as if they said, hey, here's this particular ecosystem, which is not just underperforming, but, you know, the people are literally wilting on the vine. And they said, you know, please go up there and, uh, and see what you can do to turn that around. Uh, that organization really had kind of lost its way. It was in the northern part of the United States, it had taken great pride in its mission for so many years. Over 52 years, they had projected power around the world using the airplane, and all of a sudden now, they were that mission was removed from them, and they were thrust with a new mission of unmanned aerial systems. Some of you may know who are listening that this the advent of unmanned aerial technologies in flight has has tremendous promise and potential, but it's also very scary for those who aren't quite sure what it means and how do you actually integrate that smartly and safely. But what I found there is when you create an opportunity to engage people, you know, to, to offer their best selves, when you create opportunities to really uh, let people know you care deeply about them as a leader, we were able, to, in 14 months, to be able to turn around that organization, and it was the first time that uh, had the, uh, our, our efforts were captured in the Harvard Business Review. Uh, and that's where my my association with that periodical and, most, uh, and that team started. That was back in 2009. And shortly thereafter, I was called up to the headquarters now to do some work and subsequently asked to develop the change and uh, overall global strategy of engagement for our nation's transportation and logistics provider. Mm. What that means is it's a $14 billion enterprise that for many years has operated um, in a pretty consistent habit pattern. But after... A long period of war, as many of our listeners know, Afghanistan and Iraq represent the longest sustained period of combat for uh, for America. And so we've got the stress and strains associated with that, and we also have some habit patterns that need to change as we go back to a post-war setting. And they asked me to lead that effort on behalf of uh, the leaders of that organization. So I, we set out to do that, and again, the consistency is we – Engage people where they were. It was a highly bureaucratic culture, which we tend to find in some of our organizations. But ultimately, regardless of what the, the setting is, when we find opportunities to highly inquire and let people know that their input is valuable, when we go to our customers and we find ways to be able to let them know we truly are listening and they see us take tangible steps toward them, and when we go to think of innovative ways that we can deliver now greater service in perhaps a more efficient way, in a period of one year, that particular project netted a strategy that uh, increased the engagement within the federal workplace uh, amongst employees uh, greater than any other uh, entity in—not in just the Department of Defense, but across the federal government. Well, so the bottom line is, wow. people were much more engaged. Our customers were much more satisfied. Oh, and by the way, we saved three hundred million dollars in the process. Wow. So. After that, they gave me a call and said, hey, we now have another opportunity for you. And by this time, I had been promoted to general, and uh, I was uh, asked to go to Afghanistan, which is where I ended up doing my uh, my final tour of duty. In Afghanistan, I was asked to be the commanding general of NATO Air Training Command. What that means for our listening audience is that's a 14-nation effort to build a capable, sustainable, independent Afghan Air Force. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a particularly interesting and challenging proposition for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, our nation has never attempted, nor has any nation, to build a fully independent, capable organization of that complexity. And I say complexity because it was 119 specialties. So think of it this way. A miniature version of the United States Air Force, mm. contextualized for the environment, you know, helicopters and the various things, but also all the things that make organizations sing. That is the ability to contract, the right. ability for logistics to be able to move and arrive, the ability to be able to effectively manage your human resource talent. So across the life cycle, we had to develop that. What made it particularly challenging, it was an active war zone and remains an active war zone. Right. So when we arrived, we uh, set off on that uh, uh, to, to continue to build what had been in momentum for a couple of years now. However, the challenge was due to the changing and it was the shifting political environment, it, they asked that we accelerate and come with a much more efficient way to uh, build out this capability that would net a viable product for Afghanistan three or four years ahead of schedule. So once again, for the third time, wow. uh, we were able to create a strategy for what I call unlimited success. And uh, it was unlimited because it was really one that engaged not just our individual teammates. And again, 14 nations now lends itself to kind of cross-boundary leadership opportunities. But like as you've probably discovered, at the end of the day, individuals, regardless of what nation they're from, respond to a similar set of consistent things, right? They want to know that their voice matters. They want to be rewarded for the work that they do. They want to know it's safe, it's safe to take smart risks. And so we set out to do these things periodically and, and, and systematically. But most importantly, what we did is make it a priority to engage our Afghan teammates more than perhaps anybody else had previously. What we found in that, and you'll remember from our time in uh, uh, in our our recent time together, uh, once our Afghan partners were truly invited, they knew that we respected and valued their opinion, that's where the real progress came from. and In a period of just a matter of 11 months, we were able to dramatically accelerate the progress of the Afghan Air Force, which you have to understand. In Afghanistan, the Air Force is a game-changing capability. It's really a force multiplier like no other. Mm. And I say that because the enemy, the Taliban primarily, and the other forces there that uh, don't want to see an independent, stable Afghanistan as a nation, have forces on the ground. They can bring a lot of the similar firepower, but they don't have a single aerial asset that allows them to be able to transcend time and distance, much less being able to bring in an asymmetric capability to allow the troops on the ground now to achieve disproportionate positive effect. Interesting. In combat that's really important. I guess. It's not just yeah, it's not it's huge. just about combat. Yeah. It's about how do you move your your wounded off the battlefield so they have the confidence that if they get hurt in line of duty, they're going to have the opportunity now for us to get them to a place where they can be cared for. It also provides legitimacy for the government to take care of their citizenry just 2 years prior. The country is prone, because of its very rugged landscape, to large-scale floods and a lot of other uh, specific environmental shifts. And thousands of lives are lost every year, especially in the more rural areas, because the government can't reach them to respond in an effective and efficient way. What we saw during just my time there and the 13 months I spent there, we had three large-scale events that occurred that uh, were Mother Nature-driven And because they had air power, we were able to save over 5,000 lives with men, women, and children from these more obscure locations as simply as the ability to reach them in a timely fashion. What that means for the government of Afghanistan is, again, a whole different level of credibility and legitimacy with the population in which they serve. So, as I said, getting air power in place as an asymmetric advantage isn't just great for them to win wars. It's fantastic and absolutely critical. For them to be able to show the world that they're a country that now can really build on the positive momentum. Let me tell you about the positive momentum of Afghanistan for a minute.
0: Let's take – we need to take a break and go to our first commercial, but that's a great lead into where we're going to go when we get back. No,
1: that's the story that I was so excited well,
0: I know. We had some ser- – obviously, you want to stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM and ExcellentCultures.com.
3: Remember when your company was awesome? It was you against the world. Successful strategy. To-do list. Done. Supersonic growth. But over time, the sharp edge gets dull, and good is good enough. Why? Because companies forget that bigger is not always better. That politics crush people, innovation, and creativity. And before you can say rotten corporate culture, social media posts are infecting your business. The answer? It's not just your corporate strategies, it's your corporate culture. Excellent companies know that bad culture eats great strategies for breakfast. These guys really get it. Whether you're a family biz or a Fortune 500 or a new biz and want to get it right, Excellent Cultures can bring you back to awesome because they get it. What they know for sure you don't need another consultant. Excellent Cultures gives you what you need to get what you want. Bottom line business results that last. How do they do it? With successful business leaders as coaches and proven scientific data. They read your company's culture from inside out. Think MRI. They give you fast accurate bottom line tactics. They don't treat symptoms they go for the cure. Based on science they reveal the hearts and minds of your people using proven and concise data Not warm and fuzzy psychobabble. And here's the kicker. You get supervisors who coach and inspire. Workers who love their work. And everyone, that's everyone, not just the boss, takes ownership and accountability. It just doesn't get much better than this. And if you're wondering if Excellent Cultures works, just ask a few of their grads. Don't let the culture monster eat your strategy for breakfast. Check it out for some free advice from one of their experts now, or start it yourself with their complimentary online business culture MRI.
0: And we're back, everybody. Thanks for listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 Am at excellentcultures.com. dot com. We are with John Michelle, who was just wrapping up an incredible story of the work that's been done in uh, Af- the work that you did you, that that we're hearing about right now about it in Afghanistan. Sounds like, I, I mean, the corporate work we do sounds sounds easy compared to that. Well, it
1: is. <laughs> it, 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 it is so. John, pick up where you left off and tell the story about how you were able to. Engage the, you know, if it's not classified, I mean, we don't, we don't want any CIA spooks no, following, what we following us. We home don't tonight. want you yeah.
0: saying anything that will get us killed yeah. on, on our <laughs> way home.
1: Yeah, but t- I just loved hearing the story about how you engage the, you know, the leadership of the Afghani command uh, in such a, you know, positive, demonstrative outcome of uh, proactivity that generated such huge performance increases in productivity. Um, you know, are you able to tell that without uh, killing everybody that listens to this radio show?
2: Yeah, I think we could do it only potentially lose 10% of the. Of the <laughs> so if we're good with that, you know, that possible attrition rate, I think we've poured for it. All right, okay. let's, let's
0: do it. That's a small no. amount.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so as, as as we were sharing before the commercial break, uh You know, the work of the Air Force is particularly important. In the time that the United States and its partners have been in Afghanistan, we now have 2.1 million uh, young people and primarily women who are going to school. We have seen hospitals flourish. We've seen professions grow. And as of today and uh, for the last three weeks now, Afghanistan has its first female mayor in Kabul, Afghanistan, which was previously not only just unprecedented, but there's no way people could even think this would be possible. So we have seen massive positive change wash across that country because of the stability that we as the coalition have brought. And the Air Force is an important part of that. But as you indicate, you know, the growth of the Air Force was stalled when we arrived. Um, Building an Air Force with seven different aircraft and all the associated complex systems in an active war zone in a country that has 5% English speaking and 31% literacy is hard. Heck, it's hard in, you know, well-developed countries to stiff talent. To get him to do it, so we developed a methodology that we uh, that allowed us to achieve exponential growth, and that exponential growth for our listening audience is uh, a three hundred percent increase in mission capability. Wow, a five hundred and fifty percent increase in maintenance logistics operational capability. But for the taxpayer, I think you'll particularly appreciate it was a two point one billion dollars savings to the American taxpayer over five years in our developing a more efficient effective way forward. The way we did that is we went and wanted to ensure that everything we were building was sustainable. This is really an important point, because as I consult with organizations and in any project I've been involved in, I find that the question of sustainability, though for some of us obvious, is actually you know something that a lot of people don't pay, I think, sufficient attention to. And what I mean is this. If everything an organization is doing can't pass the test of whether when that individual isn't there, is this something that's sustainable, contributes in a meaningful way, we shouldn't do it. We see so often organizations that, although well-intentioned over time, carry forward behavior patterns and processes and ways of thinking and being that are really totally no longer synchronized with the reality of their current operating space. And that is exactly what happened in Afghanistan. We were rolling out when we arrived on a plan that had been set you know, previously, but the context of that country is, was very, very fluid and was changing rapidly, like many businesses today. You know, you know because of the advent of technology and competition, it's, very, very, it's important that organizations be very, very adaptive. And so we made ourselves more adaptive. By creating new methodologies, by addressing and questioning. And I mean questioning everything. I am a tremendous believer and you can't inquire enough. Matter of fact, I tell everyone who works for me, inquire insistently. And that's to me the mark of a really good and thoughtful group of people. And so in our commitment to inquiring consistently in Afghanistan, we started to question why our Afghan partners weren't more involved in the process of building their own Air Force. You have to appreciate that as well-intentioned as we are in the West, we have a long history of building armies and even air forces and everything in our image. The problem is, if we don't contextualize what we're doing, it truly has no chance, no hope of being sustainable. One of the biggest areas this was manifest is when we questioned what was happening in the area of maintenance. When you can appreciate that the flying portion of an air force is, you know, kind of, The business end of it, flying the airplane as I do or the helicopter is exciting, and that's what people see. The reality is that's not what's most important about an Air Force or any real enterprise. It's the maintainers and the logistics that sustain it. When we asked the question how many qualified Afghan maintainers we had to support this Air Force, it was really a pretty short answer because it was zero. And I'm like, how are we possibly building an Air Force that's supposed to be independent now faster than we originally thought? and actually affordable in the long-term with no maintainers. It appears that we had, had, a, we had built an over-reliance on contractors, which don't mind being there because, again, it's a fairly lucrative business, but I think we all appreciate there's no guarantee they'll be there for the long-term. So for us, it became the fatal flaw of the design. We used that opportunity then to go to our Afghan partners, and we integrated what I would call a very basic version of value stream mapping, and we invited him to a three-day conference, and we simply started one big conversation. I'm a big believer in creating opportunities for courageous conversation, which means courageous because people have the ability to all speak their mind. You can do it in a safe manner, in a manner in which we all come out there with a greater sense of not just possibility, but a path that can lead us to where we want to go. That's so
1: you took, you took your Afghan partners through a lean process exercise?
2: First time in history.
1: Wow. So we used
2: the simplicity because we know how that process works. was a, But the essence of it worked great because we brought outside facilitators to do it. We had both our Afghan and all our coalition partners in the same room. And the first day, we simply described the as-is way we were going, and we came up with exactly the decisions we were making and where we were. On day two, we had, uh, that morning, we asked our Afghan partners. We said, okay, how would you design a maintenance logistics process that would perhaps be different or more efficient than the one that we're doing. I'll never forget their answer from the colonel, the Afghan colonel who briefed. He says in four years, no one's ever asked us that question. Wow. Now, I think you can appreciate what a powerful moment that was for every single person in the room, because that became really the inflection point and for everything else we would do from that moment on, because it revealed that perhaps Everywhere else, not just in maintenance logistics, we hadn't done the work of ensuring that we had involved the very people who have to own this process so the United States of America and its allied partners aren't there anymore. It also makes me wonder how many businesses every day have failed to ask their constituency and or the people who are actually doing the work and involving them in the conversation. I suspect you gentlemen do this all the time in the fantastic work that you do.
1: Well, John, I think what, what you're saying is huge, but I'm going to ask you to... To go a little bit deeper because uh, if we're not careful, listeners are going to think, okay, good, so now we just go by, we hire a lean process consultant, and we take everybody and all our employees and our partners through lean process, but to me, when I heard, you know, the longer version of the story, uh, it wasn't just the fact that you asked the question that you asked, but it was the quality of the relationship that you had built, right. the, the trust that you had built with these leaders of the you know the afghan military that you know uh, built the foundation where he could even give you an honest answer instead of just doing a typical politically correct head nod oh wonderful thank you for asking us i mean uh can you talk a little bit about some of the you know the groundwork that you did to build the quality of the relationship person to person leader to leader where you've got, you know, these, these allies who uh, are from a different culture and a different nation and a different continent uh, to the point where they would even trust you enough to answer a question like that.
2: Well, I appreciate you bringing it up. Thank you for that, because you're right. We don't want to, you know, mislead our audience to think that, uh, although that was a watershed moment, because it revealed, if you will, where perhaps a lot of rich fields, you know, rich opportunity lied ahead. The pre work that we had done upon arrival in really building now a greater sense of connection and commitment. And here's what I mean Um, I believe, like I believe many, I hope many of us believe, that the currency of mutually beneficial relationships, especially when you're dealing with foreign cultures, is respect. Yeah. Respect is a universal language, it is a universal, if you will, of being able to say, I have your best interest at heart. I really want to be here to add value to your life, and I want to learn from you, all the things we get from that. And so what we did in the first month that I arrived is we made a point to kind of baseline where we were with our relationships and to understand what means by which are we truly engaging people at a human level. It's so easy for us to turn things into processes and checklists, and we show up and we kind of follow a very regimented way, and we suspended that. And we said our goal is let's do a better job of listening. So we lingered more, is what I like to call it.
1: Listening—that's a no, that's a novel idea.
2: Well, you're right. You know, so in listening, I found in <clears throat> Afghanistan because you got to understand your context. But in Afghanistan, their culture likes to linger, and I mean mm-hmm. by lingering is much like <clears throat> in Europe, they love a long shared meal or an opportunity to talk over tea. Well, isn't it? But the,
1: isn't it the job? I hate to keep interrupting you, but I just oh, re- right, I re- yeah. I really want to make this point uh, for our audience, and you do it so well. Uh, isn't it the job of the US military all you brilliant guys with all of you uh, all of your degrees and all of your expertise and years and years and years of experience to just go over there and tell those guys what they're supposed to do so that they can be as successful as we here in America have been that sounds really american
0: yeah <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that isn't that isn't that isn't that your right. real job
2: <laughs> you are absolutely right well we're americans are doers right yeah. i mean we are and and in the military, we go into and we want to get a job done. We're going to get her done, and we're going to put, we're going to we're going to pull out. And although this was a longer engagement, you are absolutely spot on in the fact that it's a very easy trap to fall in. We fall in it here in our own day to day lives, but there we fell into the big way, as evidenced by no one asked us that question in four years. And so, by you know, one of the big charges we had that first month is our goal is to communicate high respect for a couple of reasons. If we do that, we're going to be able to have a depth of relationship to be able to move in different directions, which is inherently scary because it may mean changing the path we're on and people will not go lightly. And so it was important for where we knew we needed to go. So we invested up front in listening more. We often listened over the context of a meal. Right. So we found ways to be able to engage our Afghan partners where they were. We also made uh, first time, from what we can find, the first large-scale use of emotional intelligence. I made sure that our teammates, my, everyone in my organization, we trained them early on in emotional intelligence, but here's the twist. I actually made our Afghan partners the ones who graded my advisor's paper. <laughs> so it was our mm. the people, the Afghan they were advising, would be the ones that would say, yes, they're gracious when they speak. Yes, they are listening. All the things that you want out of a mutually beneficial relationship and positive interaction is what emotional intelligence we know huge. is it allows to show up in a way to be very effective not just for one of us but for both of us.
1: Yeah. We got to so, take a
0: break on that guys. Okay. We got to take a break on that. But that that is a huge point and I'm glad we paused it to highlight that. Hey guys, you're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 a.m. and excellentcultures.com and we will be right back. <laughs>
3: Remember when your company was awesome? It was you against the world. Successful strategy. To-do list, done. Supersonic growth. But over time, the sharp edge gets dull, and good is good enough. Why? Because companies forget that bigger is not always better. That politics crush people, innovation, and creativity. And before you can say rotten corporate culture, social media posts are infecting your business. The answer? It's not just your corporate strategies, it's your corporate culture. Excellent companies know that bad culture eats great strategies for breakfast. These guys really get it. Whether you're a family biz or a fortune 500 or a new biz and wanna get it right, Excellent Cultures can bring you back to awesome because they get it. What they know for sure? You don't need another consultant. Excellent Cultures gives you what you need to get what you want bottom line business results that last how do they do it with successful business leaders as coaches and proven scientific data they read your company's culture from inside out think MRI they give you fast accurate bottom line tactics they don't treat symptoms they go for the cure based on science they reveal the hearts and minds of your people using proven and concise data Not warm and fuzzy psychobabble. And here's the kicker. You get supervisors who coach and inspire. Workers who love their work. And everyone, that's everyone, not just the boss, takes ownership and accountability. It just doesn't get much better than this. And if you're wondering if Excellent Cultures works, just ask a few of their grads. Don't let the culture monster eat your strategy for breakfast. Check it out for some free advice from one of their experts now or start it yourself with their complimentary online business culture MRI.
1: Hey, we're back with Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 with... Brigadier General John Michelle, and he was telling us just before the break about how the U.S. Armed Forces at the Air Force level changed our whole strategy for specifically building high quality relationships with the leaders of the Afghan military and how effective it was. And uh, I I kind of interrupted John in our last conversation because it's so easy for us leaders here in the Western world to be so results-oriented and just look at the things on the surface of what's on top. Okay, we're going to do lean process. Oh, we just heard another buzzword. We're going to do emotional intelligence training. uh, And we think that um, hiring a consultant or buying a training program or going through a process is going to fix anything. And everything, but John was taking the time to explain to us just before the break uh, the depth that uh, they went to actually build the level of trust that generated those kind of of real ownership, real team, real commitment, real trust, real quality. Uh, John, could you pick up where you left off and be sure you talk about what you did in the mess halls with the Afghani leaders and who was serving food and who wasn't—that I thought was just phenomenal.
2: Oh well, thank you again. I'm uh, yeah, no, so I'm 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 always grateful to continue to unpack the work of that uh, of those uh, tremendous teammates there overseas in uh, NATO Air Training Command, Afghanistan. So as we left off before the break, the bottom line is this: although we were we arrived and they said we had a shorter time frame to do more with less people and less money, which we achieved. What we did is we went slow to go fast. And what I mean by that is we went slow for the purpose of investing, heavy in relationship, and as you talked about in the preamble to, uh, you know, me getting back on, it was for the, so that we could show, communicate respect because ultimately respect leads to trust. And we all know that with trust, now individuals will be willing to try and do very different things. One of the ways that we did that, that we talked about emotional intelligence training, that itself is nothing more than equipping us with skills to be much more aware of how we're showing up. Exactly. Oftentimes, I think we all see that people are well-intentioned and they're good people, but they do not know that they are coming across, whether it's through their body language, whether they're coming off in the word they choose, they just don't have the level of self-awareness or relationship management skills to be as effective as they can be. So I'm 100% with you all. There is no one course to take, no one person that anyone can hire, the work of building relationships takes time, but like I think the three of us would agree it is the single most important investment anybody can make, because once people believe that those around them have their best interest at heart, they trust them, and they respect one another, I am telling you, I have seen from, again, both in peacetime and wartime at massive scale, nothing gets too hard to do. One of the key ways that we did that is it's important for organizations to create spaces, I would call it sacred spaces by which they can reinforce the value of building relationships. In Afghanistan, I chose to do that by taking an old trailer that I walked by the first couple of months and turning it into what I called Gratitude Cafe. Gratitude Cafe was a place that sh- that communicated that every day we're going to start social. We so- served coffee and tea every morning from 7.30 to 8.30, and everyone in the entire group there on the coalition side would knew that if they wanted to come and just informally meet with one another, because it wasn't just important with our Afghan partners. We, wanted, we knew we had to model what it meant to be in a mutually beneficial, professional relationship And because our Afghan partners were watching everything. So when we created Gratitude Cafe, we then started to invite our Afghan partners to not talk about business. We wanted to show that it was important to start the day interested in what was on the minds and hearts of the other, this whole concept that I'm, you know, unpacking for you, which we'll talk about in a little bit that led into the book, is about being other centered. At least throughout my twenty six year career leading, you know, three times multi-billion dollar level change, and you know, just for the purposes of this conversation, the Afghan Air Force project is a six point seven billion dollar endeavor. So it is a high risk, high cost, high investment outcome here. And but the things that really unlock progress were abil- these the commitment to linger longer, invest in relationship, create places like Gratitude Cafe, where we could start the day talking about families? Uh, when we asked our Afghan partners, you know, every, a lot of our conversations would simply start with, "How is your family?" And in many cultures, especially than other than first world, that is a incredibly important question to ask because they are very family oriented. And they can go on, and they would sometimes for 45 minutes, about their family. And what I learned there is lingering and listening and being patient, which, remember the point you made, your very astute point, that we arrive, we're like, we're on the scene now, we're from the United States. We have good intentions, and we're going to show you how to do this. And then we're out, and we're going to go to the next thing. But we do that in our own personal and professional lives. Well,
1: every business, every company is plagued with that same disease. Uh, We want to get it done as quickly as possible uh, at the expense of whatever is necessary for the lowest cost, you know, appropriate, and then move on. And we're naive enough to think that something is going to last or it's going to be sustainable and deep when we have not done the deep work that you're talking about now that was so valuable in making that a sustainable success.
2: Absolutely. Again, our ability to (laughs) go. to start to, to go slow in order to go fast, which is invest in relationship in intentional and diverse ways, because you're going to reach people in, in, in different ways, we know. That is really what led to transformative-level positive change in Afghanistan. And so when we did all these particular elements, you know, I think I shared with you when we were previously together, I knew we had arrived when, uh, as the listening audience can appreciate, Afghanistan is a very dangerous place. We lived in a particular compound guarded by 20-foot concrete walls, but we lived in the middle of an Afghan camp. So I had a small post camp place as a coalition. There was only a small handful of us who lived there full-time, and I had 5,000 Afghans around me. And the challenge of advising, i.e. nation-building, is one day one person is your friend, and the next day they could be your greatest threat. And so... I knew that our team had made very significant progress when I was out about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, what I call walking the wall, uh, checking with the folks that we had at our various outposts on the wall. And uh, I climbed up to one of the guard towers, and I looked over, and all around our camp in the middle of the night on a misty, misty kind of a rainy night were scores of Afghan commandos. It turns out the next morning when I asked the the major general who was my counterpart there in Afghanistan in charge of the Afghan Air Force, the Afghan general, um, I said, hey, I was out on the wall last night, and I noticed that you we had all these commandos, I mean, Afghan commandos on the outside uh, on patrols. And he says, yes, I did that on my order, and I intend to do that regularly because we want absolutely nothing to happen to you and your team. We know that you're committed to us, we're excited about the sense of possibilities and what we can achieve together, and we believe it is our responsibility to do everything we can to help make sure that you're safe while you're here in our country. Wow! You have to understand, that is a huge, huge commitment on their part, and from that moment forward, then we can invite conversations that use processes, value like prospect, you know, like value stream mapping. As you, you know, pointed out a moment ago, value stream mapping means absolutely nothing. If people aren't going to have the courage to speak up at the table, if they're not going to have the belief that we're really there to be able to do something good together, not just check off another series of exercise and move on to the next
1: project. Or if they don't really care about you, like he demonstrated through that action, just the opposite of the let's get it done fast. Uh, what What a fabulous example of going slow to go fast.
2: Well, and again, we're, you know, today the organization, uh, the Afghan Air Force continues to uh, to thrive. Uh, Matter of fact, they've largely, uh, they run over 95% of all their own missions. They're out uh, protecting their population at the same time, making bad people go away every single day, uh, which is what they're there for, to help and support the the, uh, ground forces. So it was an absolutely magnificent reminder that no matter the scale or even, if you will, the country, in which we operate. There's a set of universal principles that always apply if you're going to even have any hope of achieving high performance. And it always comes down to investing intentionally and consistently in relationships.
0: John, is a lot of what you're talking about today in your
1: upcoming book?
2: It absolutely is. We're looking forward
1: to, sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, please go ahead. I was just going to say, we I'm got... reading
1: the whole manuscript tonight. I already, I already read the highlights. <laughs> we're, we have to go into
0: our last break, but there's so much in today's show. I'm trying, I'm jotting down notes and stuff as we're moving forward, but we got to go into our last break. Yeah. And I just want to make sure we get to promote the, the upcoming book so that people know where to get the rest of the story and to hear more. Maybe we'll have him on. Uh, again we're going to have John
1: back. Good. We're going to have John back because this, right. this is huge. And every leader everywhere yeah. needs to not just hear this, but they need to learn Absolutely. this and make a habit That's out of huge. demonstrating what John is Absolutely. talking about. Absolutely.
0: All right. We got to go. This is our last and final break. We'll be back right back with, uh, with John Michelle here on biz culture matters on clay, 1180 AM and
3: excellent Remember when your company was awesome. It was you against the world. Successful strategy, To-do list, done, supersonic growth. But over time, the sharp edge gets dull, and good is good enough. Why? Because companies forget that bigger is not always better. That politics crush people, innovation, and creativity. And before you can say, rotten corporate culture, social media posts are infecting your business. The answer? It's not just your corporate strategies, it's your corporate culture. Excellent companies know that bad culture eats great strategies for breakfast. These guys really get it. Whether you're a family biz or a Fortune 500 or a new biz and want to get it right, Excellent Cultures can bring you back to awesome because they get it. What they know for sure? You don't need another consultant. Excellent Cultures gives you what you need to get what you want. Bottom line business results that last. How do they do it? With successful business leaders as coaches and proven scientific data. They read your company's culture from inside out. Think MRI. They give you fast, accurate, bottom line tactics. They don't treat symptoms. They go for the cure. Based on science, they reveal the hearts and minds of your people using proven and concise data, not warm and fuzzy psychobabble. And here's the kicker you get supervisors who coach and inspire, workers who love their work. And everyone, that's everyone, not just the boss, takes ownership and accountability. It just doesn't get much better than this. And if you're wondering if Excellent Cultures works, just ask a few of their grads. Don't let the culture monster eat your strategy for breakfast. Check it out for some free advice from one of their experts now, or start it yourself with their complimentary online business culture MRI.
0: And we're back, everybody. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM at excellentcultures.com. We are here with Brigadier General... John, Michelle, and Steve Gandra and myself, and we have had three sections of show, and we only have ten minutes left, Steve. So you might have Not to get to time. the we might have to get to the uh, the hat question quickly. <laughs>
1: Not enough time. Not we're going to have, have John back. So John, uh, go back to a sec a second. Uh, the, the other story that I heard you share when we were together, that I think uh, really bears listening to. And if we run out of time, we'll just do another show um uh because there's what you're saying here and what you're sharing is so rich not just that in you know the 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 metrics the demonstrated results the cost savings the uh performance outcomes are just so huge that nobody could argue with whether or not this was an effective engagement regardless of how difficult or how dangerous it was but um can you, can you share the story about, uh, I think it was an Afghan colonel that you created the special medal for, and, and what happened and took place as a result of that action?
2: Oh, thank you so much for, sharing, for allowing me to share that story. That is actually probably my favorite of them all. And so we can appreciate that. It uh, is the able Order
1: of actually. the Penguin, right?
2: It is the Order of the Penguin, absolutely. So... You know, for the listening audience, you can appreciate that we're, we're doing these uh, intentional investments in relationship, but at the end of the day, we also, uh, in order to really move forward in an accelerated and accelerate it in more efficient path, we call that innovation, finding new and novel ways to do something different tomorrow than you're doing today. And so uh, we had a series of really significant systemic challenges or, or hurdles that we had to overcome in Afghanistan. One of the most significant being widespread corruption. Uh, matter of fact, corruption, many believe, is going to be Uh, The potential killer, if you will, of any term, any hope of sustainability, not just for the Air Force, but really for their entire um, collective body uh, as a government. So we set out to find some ways to be able to address these issues. I'll never forget the day that we had a, I can't use his name on the air, but we had an Afghan colonel. And he, on his own accord with a small group of other individuals who happened to work in the resourcing process area, had come up with a... uh, a methodology to be able to match validated requirements, so things that were validated that we that were in part of the strategy or part of the program that were needed to move forward to be against requirements. So it could match validated requirement against uh, against resources, and that would then create a simplify, and I'm simplifying, of course, and that would create a totally transparent process. They did this using technology online. And you could absolutely trace exactly where the dollars were going from step to step. It showed who the people who were engaged. They even developed their own YouTube videos to be able to, along the way, the different Afghans who would be involved in this could learn their role. It was magnificent. It was very simple, very contextualized, and immensely effective. We were terribly excited about this, thinking, wow, this is really going to unlock a whole different level of progress and we uh, encouraged then this particular colonel to go, and we needed to brief his Afghan higher leadership. And uh, he went to the headquarters downtown Kabul to brief this. And I'll never forget the day that he came back from that conversation. As you can appreciate, uh, for all of us that wanted to be able to, you know, uh, provide greater transparency and on the and uh, ability to deal and mitigate the effects of corruption. Um, there are others who did not want that for obvious reasons. And so what happened out of this meeting was the fact that they told him, look, there's really two choices here as far as we see it. You're going to uh, either, it's going to be a potential loss of life if you continue to press this, and they use more diplomatic terms, but uh, the reality is, you know, that that was what it came down to, or two, um, we're going to go ahead and banish you, per se, move you to a much less desirable posting, which they indeed did. Now, you can imagine this was kind of a devastating setback. However, what we saw in it was what that particular individual did we knew we needed to capitalize on. So I had approached some, uh, I approached some Afghan artisans, and I am a big fan of a particular metaphor for risk-taking that I call Be the First Penguin. It goes back to Randy Posh's work back at Carnegie Mellon before he died from cancer, and he used to have an award in which he would reward students who were the greatest smart risk-takers. And it's modeled around the notion that, you know, we see these massive, we see these pictures of massive amounts of penguins who are migrating and eventually they have to get in the water. The problem is they don't know what is down there waiting. So the whole notion of the first penguin is someone has to go first.
1: Could be a great white shark with his mouth open.
2: Exactly. So to me, it's metaphoric for a leader is willing to go first. And this particular individual went first in a big way. So I hired some Afghan artisans and we created the first ever order of the penguin. I had 25 handcrafted medals done, and then they had the ribbons, just like you know regular medals we wore in our uniforms were made in uh, the same color as the Afghan flag. and we created a massive gathering of hundreds and hundreds of people. I brought in all our advisors from the coalition and I invited all kinds of leaders and rank and file from the Afghan side. We also allowed this particular individual's family to attend. I'll never forget the day that I pinned the medal on him in front of this group, which we made very clear why we were rewarding him. They knew that his initiative had not been adopted, but they also clearly received a message from us that we were celebrating this spirit of risk-taking in order to make things better, not just in the Air Force, but Afghanistan at large. When we pinned this medal on him, and I gave this gentleman his certificate in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, he... Uh, began to say a few words and broke down and started to cry. And I went over and you know, asked how he was doing and he said, you know, please excuse me, but in my forty two years no one has ever recognized me for anything I've ever done. Now, the room, as you can appreciate, went silent. And what we realized is again a reinforcement of the simple power of reward of being able to recognize and celebrate people. But as importantly, what happened afterward was magical. People, the Afghans that were in the room, saw that we had celebrated this act of risk-taking and it created a ceremony and a medal around it. Many of them in this disempowered culture are not used to being celebrated. And then what happened after that particular event is in the next two months, we had more innovation and more ideas flow off the Afghan side of, our, of our, our partners than we had seen in the previous three years combined. Because they saw that we were gonna reward risk taking because it was honorable and an act worth paying attention to. Wow. I'll never forget that brave colonel and what he did to be able to try to move things solidly forward. And, and this so, was
1: the guy that flew his chopper into battle first ahead of the troops, right?
2: Well, that's uh, believe it or not, we'll probably say that for another show because you know, that's actually a different gentleman who was <laughs> a, a one star general. Who won two equivalents of the? Uh, who was awarded the equivalent of two Medal of Honors? And wow! will make for a great story. Wow! About what it means to also go first, and and basically what I say is run to the fire. Wow! Another leadership principle.
1: Wow! Wow! wow. Huge, huge, huge. So, uh, John, um, we've covered so much rich content here today in such a a meaningful way. We're definitely gonna do another show because you have so much more to share and um, give you the opportunity to just kind of get that out there because what you're talking about are uh, principles that every leader has heard or they know, but we just kind of forget the important stuff because we're so busy running our lean process or running our Six Sigma or, you know, Running our engagement surveys, or running all of these great tools that become meaningless because we forget to go slow first and then go fast. Can you put your coaches on for coaches hat on here for sixty just seconds, the next sixty seconds, and leave some tidbits of what you can tell our listeners that they really need to pay attention to, based on what it is you've shared today?
2: Absolutely. So at the end of the day, the greatest investment you're going to make is being what I call other centered. I always wonder what kind of world we'd have if leaders chose to be less self-centered or self-oriented and be, take greater time to notice, encourage, the things that seem simple. But we know at the end of the day, real progress comes from individuals getting, getting a new sense of, of intrinsic motivation to do whatever the mission, cause, or campaign that your organization is involved in. So whether it's how you engage people, whether it's you, you know, your commitment to not hedge on excellence, whether it's how do you actually go out and find ways now to capture their voice, how do you actually go out there and uh, and find new and innovative ways to be able to get your people to bring innovation to the light. Uh, I mean, a lot of organizations I, I work with can't answer what would seem to be fundamental questions and say, yes, we value innovation. When I say, show me, what are the ways that you actually do it and capture it uh, that is easy and, uh, and, if you will, safe? Um, a lot of these conversations break down. Amazing. So for the organize for all those listening, you know we'll talk in the future. The bottom line is this entire concept that I captured in these lessons in this new book is about being other It It is something that uh, we leverage every single week across the entire country as simple ways to show up add value to your surroundings so that you can create conditions for people now to do hard things together.
0: What's the website to get a, get a glimpse of that now, John?
2: Well, the uh, the book itself will not be out till the first of June. We have, uh, okay. um, and we have the entire book also is being turned into a series of learning modules with gamification and videos because great. we know people take data in different ways now. So uh, you, there'll be uh, it'll be out by uh, through the Thomas Nelson family. We'll have more details on a awesome. subsequent show. That's
1: great. That's great. And folks can keep up on your Twitter feed, right?
2: They can keep up on my Twitter feed, and soon Michelle dot com will be up. Or you can pay attention, go to generalleadership.com, Perfect. my current nonprofit, generalleadership.com, and every day we feed new information from one of America's uh, senior military leaders, Perfect. advice on leadership.
0: Perfect. John, stay on the phone. Steve's going to grab you as soon as we're off the air. Guys, you've been listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. Send an email to us now. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. We will catch you in our next program. Adios.